Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each and every week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you'll find in this week's issue. I am not Andrew Clyden. Andrew Clyden is in warmer weather, but I am Matthew Marcon, and I am joined by editor Miles Danhausen. Miles, how you doing? Doing good, Matt. Yeah, Andrew's down and uh, fulfilling his dream, getting down to Disney World. Right. After a, a flight delay. Oh, uh, I was I was talking to him on Monday, and he was telling me about everything that happened to him and. Wished him the best and hope he got there safe because it was it sounded like a nightmare traveling. Yeah. It sounds that way for a lot of people. I talked to some people who are coming back from like Colorado and ended up having to drive. This this storm has been <clears throat> has been weird because on Sunday night into Monday we had a whole bunch of snow, a lot of wind, and then it just got holy cow! It's cold weather. Yeah. Polar vortex number two. We're recording this on Wednesday. This is our third straight day of school cancellations and a lot of other services canceled. We closed the office here at the Pulse on Monday just because of the, the snowfall. Mm-hmm. Been open the last couple of days, and uh, we already got word that uh, by the time people listen to this on either late Thursday or early Friday, this will be passed, but we're looking at our fourth straight day of school closings tomorrow. I grew up here. I'm 40 years old. I don't recall ever having four straight days. Maybe we had three before, but certainly not four straight days of closed schools. Yeah, I remember where there there would be days when... <laughs> When we had school canceled because they were being preemptive of like, oh, we're going to have a big storm tomorrow and they canceled school and then nothing came. And then there would be storms where we'd be driving to school and it's like, how are we going to school in this? I can barely see 10 (laughs) feet in front of me. And now they're just like, yeah, no school this week, I guess. Well, I found out for why there there's a good reason for that this morning, because um, as you know, you got to be cautious on the road in the Mm -hmm. snow. And I've I've written that several times this week in our Pulse Picks emails that we send out to alert people to weather in the morning and, and other issues. If you haven't signed up for Pulse Picks, please do <laughs> uh, at doorcountypulse.com. But uh, then this morning, there were some idiots who didn't follow the cautious advice, like myself, who got caught in a snowdrift that didn't look as big as it turned out to be. And I had to call my wife to bring a shovel so I could get myself out of the drift on the way to work this wow. morning. Wow. Did you use cat litter too? I heard cat litter yeah. helps you get out of... I did not end up needing the cat litter. I do have snow tires. I was overly confident in my snow tires, which I was afraid I would be at some point or another. And uh, the drift just happened to be long, like deeper than I thought. And then as soon as I started shoveling out, like the drift was just growing on itself. So by the end, I had to shovel like a 40 foot path that I could back up and get momentum to get through the rest of the drift. And in those, and I was shoveling fast. Like I was, I was sweating like I was in high school basketball practice. (laughs) And I was still freezing out there. It was like my fingers and my nose were were getting cold so fast. It really made me understand like, A, why 40-year-old men have heart attack shoveling and B, why they say you can get frostbite in five to 15 minutes in weather like this because it took like another hour after that for my, my nose and my fingers to kind of return to normalcy. 
How does this polar vortex compare to the one we had a couple years ago, 2014? Um, you know, we were talking about that in the office. When that one hit, I was living in Chicago and it was freezing in Chicago. It was like every day right around zero to five degrees for a long stretch. And every time it would be that cold, I would call and check in my parents up here in Egg Harbor and it would inevitably be 10 degrees colder up here, which kind of flipped right now because I think Chicago is actually about 10 degrees colder than us right now. Um, I remember, I, I think maybe it didn't get like they didn't have like two or three straight days this freezing at that time. But I think what happened then, if I remember right, it was something like, and I don't know the exact figure, but it was like 60 straight days where the temperature never went above freezing. And a certain, there was some sort of record number of consecutive days that it was at zero or below or 10 or below. So I think it maybe is colder right now for like a single stretch. But like back then it was just the whole winter was that cold. Yeah. I was in college in 2014, but uh, beyond that, I was studying abroad in Australia in 2014, the winter of Good 2014. Call. So I missed all of it. And I just I just saw all the Facebook and Twitter posts about so cold and polar vortex while I'm sitting on a beach. So um, as I'm, speak, I'm wishing for that right now. <laughs> as we speak, Jim Lundstrom is compiling a lot of uh, record temperatures for Door County and, and Wisconsin and Northeastern Wisconsin. And that'll all be published in this Friday's Pulse, which everyone should pick up. All over the county. That would be interesting. I'd, I'd be interested to see of how cold it's it's gotten here. Yeah. Because it seems pretty cold right now. Well, he was digging through like old newspaper archives and he said like, yeah, just it seems like every 10 to 20 years, there's a storm, a winter storm that they say worst ever. And then the next one, worst ever. Like no matter what happened and what the record said back then, I think they just called it the worst ever. Well, you got to sell papers, right? Yeah, so, you got right. to move it. Weather moves papers. Right. <laughs> So let's get into the news this week. A notable figure in Door County recently passed away. Yeah, John Toppy, who if anybody familiar with high school basketball in Door County probably knows and recognizes the name John Toppy. This is a guy who coached up here for five decades at every level of the game, girls and guys, and at various points in his career, pretty close to the highest level of success you could hit. And he coached, he coached at all four mainland county schools. He would coach JV. He'd coach freshmen. He just basketball junkie. And in fact, my first year of coaching as a freshman boys coach, um, when I was 20 years old, I coached under John Toppy when he was serving for a couple of years at Gibraltar High School. He was a unique character. I mean, nobody loved high school basketball more than that guy. I mean, he was a, uh, several people I talked to called him a basketball junkie. Um, whether it's Corey Mallion, who covered him for years at The Advocate, P. Claflin, who coached with him, um, both coached underneath him and then coached uh, and also had Toppy as his assistant. He would go and scout. So like we'd get done with practice and, you know, I'm going home. It's middle of winter. One of these freezing days like it is right now. He would he'd, he'd be leaving the gym and say, all right, I'm going to drive. I'm driving to Lena to watch some random basketball game between two pathetic teams that might be that had like a 10 percent chance that we would play them in the playoffs. But he was going there to to scout and he was always he just. If there were four games in a week in Door County, he would go to four games. Like he just always loved going to high school basketball games. He would bring up random names from 40 years ago and be describing them to me. And I'd always have to say like, uh, yeah, John, that guy you're talking about, I don't have a frame of reference here. Like, cause he would say like, well, you know, so-and-so or, or Willie Shartner used to do this or this guy used to do this. And I'm like, no, no, that's before my time, John. <laughs> so, cause he started coaching in 1967, had, as uh, Tani DeBru, who played for him at Southern Door when he took them to the state tournament um, in 1992. 
uh, the first and I believe only girls basketball team in Door County to go to the state tournament still to this day. Um, they had a couple of great thousand point scores and a great run there at Southern Door. But yeah, she just talked about him as, as a great coach, a demanding coach. Yeah, he'll be missed. I mean, you don't, not many people can coach that long. I mean, I did it for 10 years. It is an absorbing, consuming thing to try and do. And to do it as long as he did and to just keep coming back and just, he loved coaching the game. And even for myself, when I was, I, I was probably like 13 or 14 and I was at a summer camp at Gibraltar. He was coaching at Southern Door at the time and he came up and, and coached. And I was, I'm a small bow-legged point guard and I played on a, I was in a class of like a lot of really tall, talented, super talented athletic guys. And, you know, you can kind of get lost in that shuffle. But I remember at a clinic, he, he came over and like paid some special attention and was telling me like, like telling me, Hey, your shot's pretty good. Just keep working on this. And of course I can't do his voice, which was like a high pitched raspy, one of the more unique voices. But, um, you know, when you come up and you, you came up playing ball, like every little compliment, like makes you get a little bit more confidence in your own abilities which makes you try something new, which makes you become a better ball player. And so I, I just said, I still remember to this day that that time he had told me like, oh, you're a pretty good shooter because you could get lost amongst all these other guys. So he just loved impacting kids and, and impacting young basketball players. Yeah, getting compliments like that, especially as a high school player, um, is very great for your overall self-confidence. Yeah. Um, I remember that in, in basketball more than, than baseball because baseball was a little bit different for me um, basketball was just kind of a thing I did to stay in shape for baseball. No offense to you. Um, <laughs> but I, but now going, looking back on it, you know, I, I played more basketball now than I, than I probably did back then and, and yep. probably still will just cause you can't really play pick up baseball that much, but <laughs> yeah, it tough, seems like it's tough to play two on two. Right. Exactly. You, you, you get a lot of running in, you pitch it and then you got to go chase <laughs> after it. And then some, how many times you can run around the bases before you get the ball <laughs> yeah. back. Um, but it seems like he coached everywhere around the County. Everywhere. Uh, Southern Door, he had some great teams at Sevastopol on the boys' side in the early 70s, some conference champions in the old Bay Lakes Conference. Um, I talked to a couple of those players. He had some great girls' teams at Sevastopol that came within a, a, a breath of the state tournament in the mid-80s. And he had those great teams at Southern Door. And then after that, after that Southern Door run, he kind of uh, became sort of like the, the county's fill-in. So Gibraltar couldn't find a coach. He filled in from, for a couple of years. Southern Door might need a freshman coach, so he'd coach freshman boys. The next year, he might show up on the Sturgeon Bay sideline coaching uh, JV boys, and then it would be like Sturgeon Bay girls. Like He was just bouncing around, and um, we're, it, it's kind of a unique coaching career because so many times when you have people who coach that long, they're usually tied to like one school. Like Rod Biller back at Gibraltar was there forever, um, and he is purely a Gibraltar guy. And Jim Benish, I think, is in his 27th year at Sturgeon Bay. Um, wow. He is, you know, Sturgeon Bay through and through. But uh, John John was really fiery, too. Like, he was known for throwing his sport coat down, hollering at refs, hollering at uh, the opposing coaches, and just bringing this kind of fire and brimstone for for old-time basketball fans, very Al McGuire-esque on a high school level. And and sometimes you couldn't really understand what he was saying. He was just, like, going off. And, and as, a, as an assistant coach, some of the players would look at me like, what does he want me to do? And I'd be like, I, I don't really know. Just, uh, just to execute the offense. I think I'll be fine with that. So, but yeah, just a, a classic door County character. That's just, and it seems like we're, we're starting to all, all these classic door County characters are starting to fall beneath the wayside. And, uh, I think it's, we need to start, who are the next door County characters? Cause Dave, is he one? <laughs> well, Dave, 
David's too professional to be in that like character ballpark. I think. Um, no, there's a uh, you know the rhythm chicken comes to mind. There, yeah. there are some. I think uh, I think it's Willie Shartner up on the island, kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> there are definitely some characters remaining, but I think kind of the the evolution of the county, and this could be an entirely new podcast of its own. Honestly, is just that topic because people ask me that and they go, it doesn't seem like there are as many. And maybe it doesn't seem that way in the moment. And maybe you get wistful for the ones that were 20, 30 years ago. But, you know, you think of a lot of the ones that, say, Nor Bly wrote about in, in his book, Doorway. There was also a more rural, kind of detached, isolated county at that time. So maybe there was a little more freedom to be kind of an oddball character. And, you know, for better or worse, some of that characterness revolves around drinking and being a little crazy and a, a little different. And maybe that's just not the same. But yeah, I think there's maybe a little more need and pressure to conform from both business owners and, and individuals than there maybe used to be in 1974 Door County. Speaking of an evolving county, great segue, um, Shopco. <laughs> yeah, Shopco has been in the news a lot lately because they are filing for bankruptcy and going through that process. A lot of people in Northern Door County, of course, wondering what that means for the Shopco and Sister Bay and particularly the pharmacy. We have a um, you know, like everybody, everybody needs drugs. The prescription, people looking for prescriptions in, in Northern Door, the pharmacy is located in Shopco now. After they moved in, they bought the old farm. pharmacy eight or nine years ago, I think. And now, as of right now, the Shopco and Sister Bay will remain open, but they have auctioned off the pharmacy there and Walgreens purchased that, which unfortunately for Northern Door means that all of that pharmacy um, fulfillment will move down to Sturgeon Bay. So you got a 45 minute drive to go pick up prescriptions. And, you know, that's a big one in Sister Bay because it has the highest percentage of people over the age of 65 in the state, which is, you know, a, a population that generally has a lot of prescription needs. And there's been a lot of talk about whether another pharmacy might move in to Sister Bay somewhere, an open location, because I think people will probably be clamoring for that. Because while Walgreens will offer a delivery service through the mail, you know, that's not. You know, sometimes you, a lot of times you need something that day and it's not really convenient to, if you're working a retail or, or any kind of job in Sister Bay, it's, there's, you know, nobody anywhere, it's convenient to drive 45 minutes each way to go pick up a prescri prescription. And that's what uh, people will be faced with right now. So, so let me get this straight. Shopco auctioned off the pharmacy that's, that's inside of the building and Walgreens came in and bought it. And then they say, we don't want to use that pharmacy anymore. So now you're going to have to come down to Sturgeon Bay. Basically. And I, I guess what they buy is they buy the business, you know, they buy the, the, I don't know if they actually buy the drugs that are in, that are physically in there, but, uh, they just kind of buy the, the, the business side of it. And so that'll just be closed down in Shopco. And that all just gets wrapped up into their Sturgeon Bay location. I think they bought 63 different pharmacies at that auction, uh, 63 pharmacies statewide from Shopco. As Shopco just gets out of the pharmacy business, I think they owed something like $67 million in for the drugs that they had uh, had in their stores already. So they were pretty desperate. And then, you know, a pharmacy, the reason a Shopco has a pharmacy is it's a great anchor to draw people that just have to come into your store and buy other products. So what does that mean for the long-term viability of that Shopco hometown store? Um, a lot of question marks. Is there, is there anything that can be seen 
of going in there to replace Shopco. I know we might have talked. I know you and Andrew might have talked about that on a previous podcast. Yeah, I know. I'm part of that building is used as a warehouse for another Sister Bay business. Um, the whole building is not Shopco. It's a massive building that Chris Grocery Store built probably in the late '80s, and then sat empty for a while. Then it became Pomida. Pomida was bought by Shopco. Not sure what the. It's hard to imagine new retail now, right? I mean, and that making a lot of sense. I could see. There might be other businesses that would open to fulfill functions of that, but it's hard to say like, okay, a small town department store, even a big city department store, they're going under all over the place with the switch to online shopping, which would, if that happened in Sister Bay, that would really uh, be an inconvenience. Maybe it, maybe it's good for other businesses. Maybe it's good for, say, your Ace Hardware or your Lampert's or your Nelson's Hardware. Um, maybe it's good for the pig because they do, Shopco does have a certain degree of groceries. And actually that's a, another factor. The pig is getting bigger. So and more convenient, and it'll be a more enjoyable shopping experience. And for anybody in Northern Door, it's been kind of a, a bone of contention, of course, forever, that the pig is a great experience in its old version. So that's another another impact on Shopco that if if they're not, if they don't decide to close that Sister Bay location, they're going to be facing more competition. Right. And it's a great piece of property, right, going up before you get into downtown Sister Bay. So I feel like someone should jump on that because it's a nice big spot of of yeah, space I mean, it's just a um just a question of how many people need how many businesses need that much space right right that's that's a tough one so um yeah we'll see what happens next with that i'm sure more news will come out every week speaking of businesses opening and closing another great segue by us we have a list of new businesses opening and closing yes uh yeah this is a. Uh, Normally, we do like a, a whole list of new businesses in the springtime. We started doing that seven, eight years ago when the business climate kind of post-recession, just trying to tout when the business climate was suffering. And we wanted to, to emphasize some of the good things and entrepreneurial spirit that still existed here um, and show people that people were still investing in Door County. And we run that every year. And there's always a slew of places that open up. And what we found now is this, this winter and this, this late fall and winter, there's actually been a lot of activity. So I just put together a list of the ones that we were aware of. And certainly if uh, that'll be in this Friday's Pulse, but certainly if you know of any others, any listeners out there that we missed, take a look at it and, and let us know what's, what else is coming down the pipe. You know, a couple new ventures from the folks at Wild Tomato, a guy like Peninsula Bookman in Fish Creek opening a second location in Sister Bay. Obviously, the Piggly Wiggly expansion, Goose and Twigs Motel down in downtown Sister Bay. A lot of different things going on um, in Northern Door. A lot of things going down in, in Sturgeon Bay. The 108 Creative Collection is kind of an incubator that's going to kind of have three different businesses in it on West Madison Avenue. So that's opening up uh, this spring. They're currently doing a lot of work on that. Check that out. There's, it, it, I think it was just kind of cool to see how many places are... Um, kind of bring in new ideas, even in the wintertime, some of them even opening in the winter, you know, like, uh, um, Cherry Lane's arcade bar that opened in late November, uh, and Skipstone coffee in Sister Bay, another one that opened, uh, I think in December, a lot of, a lot of stuff happening, a lot of development and investment in Door County, some of it, new construction, some of it just kind of reimagining old spaces. I, I think it's, it was just kind of neat to, uh, kind of tally all that up and, and show how many people were still pushing their entrepreneurial roots in the wintertime up here, which I don't think has really been the case in, in my time. Right. I was just going to ask, is that something new that we've started to see is because usually 
around wintertime, everything kind of dies around here and nothing seems to be happening. But it, is it is it starting? Are we starting to see more businesses starting to take advantage of no one else being open? So they see an advantage in that? Well, I think I think they see an advantage in Door County being um, like the season just being a little longer. Um, people reimagining what restaurants and what businesses can be serving particular niches, you know, like a place it's, it's hard to have a really big restaurant and stay open all year round because you need, say you have 300 seats in the summer, like a lot of these supper clubs. It's really hard to make that restaurant feel cozy and a 300 person restaurant feel cozy and inviting on a night in Tuesday in February when you might be serving 25 people. Smaller restaurant that's not trying to be everything to everyone can be effective that way and can be more nimble. They don't have as big a staff. And they can justify a, a night in the winter with a smaller footprint, a smaller rent, a smaller staff and serve, say, 50 people. And, and that would be a successful night. I'm, you know, I, places like Charnuska Soup Bar, um, kind of a one man shop. Trixie's a smaller kind of more city like restaurant that's just a, a small, cozy place. And you see a few more of those open up that are kind of owner operated to a larger degree. So those businesses are carving a niche and it's just a. Uh, and those places are staying open into February, sometimes into March, and then reopening in late April instead of late May. Just finding ways to be creative and, and find those new slivers of business up here kind of rejuvenated and made other people go, well, maybe I can do that. If I'm, you know, instead of thinking like over the top big, you can do something small. Beers Out's another place like that that's kind of a sliver of a restaurant that you can go in there with. And, and if there's only six people in there, it feels, still feels good instead of it being like, kind of empty and dead and eerie. Right. It's really cool to see these small um, entrepreneurial you know, businesses come into Door County and take advantage of the small space that that is given and see all the cool things that you can do in such a small space. And that's that's really awesome to see instead of, you know, the old you know, Greenwoods and the supper clubs and things like that. It's kind of turning over a new leaf into something new and a little bit different. That's um that's kind of for the the newer type of vacationers and tourists that are coming up here. And so live, being able to live here, we can take advantage of that yeah. while you're around. Well, I mean, in Utah, like you went to high school up here. And I remember if we were trying to do like a team dinner, um, for those listening who don't know, I coached Matthew when he was a high school basketball player. In the wintertime, you might look for some place to go do a team dinner or <laughs> just your family to go out. And you're talking for the longest time, it was really just like, a few bars right. that might be open that happen to serve food. So you can go get a burger, get some cheese curds, get some fries, which is usually great for the kids. They're, they're more than happy with that. Right. But as an adult, you'd just be like, how many times can I eat the same thing? Right. Um, and now there's just a lot more variety. And, uh, and actually, man, we are good at the segues today because this segues into... I was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> be yes. to it. Um, <laughs> we're starting kind of a, a little series with the podcast that might grow into an ongoing thing because there's so much to talk about on this topic. But just talking to some of the, the some of those new food entrepreneurs in the county who are kind of bringing a new flavor, but also some of those who are maintaining the old flavor. So we're talking to a bunch of different chefs and we started by trying to pick like three or four that were kind of taking a risk and changed the scene up here. Talking about guys like Bridunkifer at Wild Tomato, which definitely made a big mark and kind of changed how people saw what a restaurant could be in Door County. Veronica Rip at the Get Real Cafe doing like this healthy bent on West Madison Avenue. We'll be talking to guys like Mike Holmes at the Wickman House who brought cocktails to the fore and that a, a whole new thing to the county. And I think 
the food scene up here is one of the most exciting things that's happened in the last five to 10 years that, that change in dynamic. Um, and myself having a, a background in the industry, having run a small pizza place that was nowhere near the level of a wild tomato. Um, maybe not quite near the level of a place that should have been open. Um, <laughs> but then also later running Husby's food and spirits for several years. And I know the limits of my cooking ability. So I'm really fascinated and I know how hard the business is. So I just have been fascinated by so many of these people who have pumped some new blood into it, pushing each other, also pushing some of the older businesses to transform themselves and, and evolve, which helps us attract a new tourist base. And get seen by people who maybe had never thought about really going to Door County because there's so many people who make food a part of their travel. So yeah, we, we were going to start bringing those folks in to talk to us on the podcast, myself and Aliyah Kidd, our, our food writer here at The Pulse, and kind of get their stories, find out how they came up with their ideas and what their challenges are and, and what they were aiming for and why they thought these new ideas could work in Door County. So why don't we segue into our first main topic, your interview with Britt at Wild Tomato. Anything you care to share before we spin off into that segment? Uh, nothing really other than Britt, obviously. Britt Uncover, Wild Tomato, Beardzot, um, now expanding to a couple of new locations, which you can listen to the interview to get all the details on that. His background, um, he's a guy who obviously loves food, gets inspired by food, and just has a ton of ideas for food. He's uh, got some big expansion plans in the work works and we uh we talk about all that and more in uh, our interview great i can't wait to listen to that that will be on the other side of this break miles i think it's been a great podcast without andrew and i don't think he'll be back next week yeah sorry andrew uh yeah. your your job has been taken matthew has eased right into it sorry andrew but thank you for joining me stay tuned for the interview and we will see you next week all right thanks matthew stay up they called themselves the Stradivarius Builders of Sturgeon Bay because the guys at Palmer Johnson were artists in wood and metalwork, anything you imagine. They did it so beautifully well. The first fishermen came down the lake from Pankin Island, or worked their way along the north shore of Lake Michigan, and they came because of the whitefish. The whitefish were abundant. In 1945, 2,000 German prisoners of war came to Door County and picked cherries for just one harvest season. Peninsula Filmworks is dedicated to telling the stories of Door County, past, present, and future. To learn more about the history of shipbuilding in Sturgeon Bay, to see how the cherry became a Door County icon, or to watch the peninsula's last remaining fishermen brave the waters to haul in thousands of pounds of whitefish daily, and the many other incredible stories produced with the Door County Visitor Bureau, visit doorcounty.com slash ourdoorcounty. All right, we are back, and now we're going to listen to a conversation that I had with Britt Uncafer, the man behind the Wild Tomato Restaurants in Door County. Hope you guys like it. Britt, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Miles. So, Britt, what you, you've had the Wild Tomato for, is it 10 years about? Yeah, 10 years. 10 years, exactly. Mm -hmm. yep. So, when you opened the Wild Tomato, you know, the food scene in Door County has, has always been really good, and there's been great restaurants, supper clubs. Uh, places like the White Call Inn for a long, long time up here. When you came in, you did something a little different and kind of changed some of the stuff on the scene here, even with just the style of pizza you did with the wood-fired oven. When you opened the, the place up, why did you think that would work? Kind of breaking the mold a little bit. Yeah, I think that just watching what was happening 
nationwide and different places I had worked around the country and also traveled, uh, just kind of watching it flow from bigger metropolitan areas to smaller, you know, states like Wisconsin. And you just kind of knew eventually it would get to all the little cracks and crevices everywhere else in small towns and things like that. And you had to invest. I mean, that oven couldn't have been cheap. This. <laughs> Yeah, that was not cheap whatsoever. <laughs> so there was a little bit of a gamble uh, with it. But the nice thing with pizza is that almost everyone loves it. You know, everyone's willing to try something out of their kind of neighborhood pizza joint. Yeah. And that's kind of the rough thing with pizza is that you do always have that comparison. Well, it's not whatever, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah, whatever slice I, I fell in love with. Yeah, exactly. But the reception was good. Um, I had been doing pizza on and off for 20 years around the country. So kind of had a little uh, idea of where we should land here in the state. And you took a place, you bought the place Diggers. And I I'll, I don't know if I should admit this or not, but I didn't go into Wild Tomato at all the first year because I was one of those. Um, and I hate to say this now, but like averse to change guys. And I was like, it's not Diggers anymore. I was like angry that Diggers was gone. And you probably got a lot of that backlash at first. Yeah, we did quite a bit. And, you know, going back for me as a kid, my family owned Nelson's Hall, the Bitters right. Pub up on the island. Yeah. And so I kind of knew what that backlash might look like <laughs> because we had gone in, we weren't Islanders and um, we changed it, but we changed it back to original okay. what it was like. So we, I kind of knew going into it, if I did it right, I would get the support of the community. Right. And that is really what wild tomato was about was community first and, okay. and still is. And, you know, we do different things that support the community and that kind of, for me, I just, I love door County so much and truly believe in it that, uh, it, it luckily it worked. It was well, one of those, one of those nice. things you did right off the bat was the donation creation pizza. Correct. And if you could explain exactly how that works. Mm -hmm. So that's a pizza that we do special monthly and $1 of each pie goes to a local nonprofit. And we have done that since day one. And that was one of those things immediately that I wanted to do for the community. And uh, I think to date, we're somewhere probably around $30,000 just from wow. that, that we've given back and all sorts of different nonprofits. And it's, allows all those nonprofits to kind of show their stuff too. And, and get a little publicity out exactly. of it and make you, oh, what is that nonprofit? It begs the mm -hmm. question because, I mean, there's a ton of them up here. Yep. And so I'm sure you have some on there once in a while that people are kind of obscure. And so you get a little awareness out of it as a nonprofit as well. My dad's an adventurous eater, so he always wants to get that because mm -hmm. he just, oh, let's try that combination. Growing yep. up, he was always doing random stuff in the kitchen. So when you guys opened, I had... You know, back in high school, my brother and I had a little pizza place, uh, Dano's Peninsula Pizza. And, you know, we were like a, a high school hangout, okay pizza. The first couple of years, kind of a bad pizza, but eventually, okay. Mm -hmm. But we didn't need to make money to support a family so we could get by on it. But we closed in like uh, 99, 2000 when we took over Husby's. And when I finally did go into your restaurant at Wild Tomato after the first year, I'm like, all right, I'll go try this. All my friends seem to like it plenty enough. And I went in there and I was like, wow, this is like everything we wanted to be but could never hit. And then a lot of stuff we had never even thought of doing like the stuff. It was very family friendly is fabulous pizza. But then 
And also like having kind of the, the cooks on display where you could see the people tossing the pies up in the air, which obviously, I mean, I'm sure that's just like kids walk in and they're just glued to those guys. Yeah. And wanted to give families a break. You know, anyone with kids, when you go on vacation, it's not a vacation for the parents. You know, it's because you get the kids out of their ordinary routine and things like that. And that's what we kind of wanted to give to the parents was something for the kids to kind of be distracted so everyone can kind of breathe and have a nice time. And I have almost exclusively only worked in open kitchens for the last 20 some years. Puts a lot of pressure on the cook. It does. And when I started cooking in the early nineties, that's what it was kind of about was let's take this, what was classically blue collar job and show it off for what it it started to elevate. And you started to get the first wave of the celebrity kind of chef culture of your Charlie Trotters and that, Mm -hmm. that sort of guy. Exactly. And, and it worked and the kids loved it and let them come up and sit and interact with the cooks and things like that, which is a lot of fun. Now was one of the things that you like for years and years, restaurants in Door County and still some of them have to do this. And myself, when my brother and I had husbands, you were afraid to not have something on the menu because you had to be everything to everybody because it's such a short season. You couldn't afford to lose um, this customer or that customer. So you had maybe a little Mexican, a little pizza, a burger, you know, you had mm-hmm. all these different things. And I think like kind of what, what you came about, even with like the style of pizza, it's kind of an, it's not totally Neapolitan style, but it's different than what like the bar pizza that people are used to up here and in small towns of like whatever tombstone you get over the, mm-hmm. over the dive bar. You know, now, now you kind of pave the way for people who say, Hey, we're going to be this particular thing and be great at it. And we're not going to try and serve you this eight page bar menu. Yeah. And that's exactly it. When and I would think that would have been pretty scary to, to try and pull off. Surprisingly wasn't. I didn't really think about that as much because where I had come from, it was always about having a small menu tight that you could execute really, really well. And yeah. just knowing and watching other restaurants do that. And not that they didn't succeed, but you knew that everything wasn't quite where you knew it probably could be if right. they had just tightened up the menu a little bit more. So it, it was a lot of my past experience that really kind of drove that. Yeah. And now it's like, if you go to a restaurant and they have that long, large menu, you say to yourself, if you're a bit of a foodie at all or a food appreciator, you, you see that big menu and you go, how can they be really good at any of this? Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that's exactly it. You know, and that's, I always talk about the fourth person when dining and, and, that's a lot why we have, why we're just not only pizzas. We do have sandwiches and salads right. and things like that. And that's, I would say that's for the fourth person that, yeah, I don't want pizza tonight. So yeah. they do have other options, but yeah, it's, we've kind of gone in some directions trying to do a couple things, but people come for pizza, yeah. you know, and that's, that's. And then, and then it. beers out is its own thing. Correct. I mean, it, it is attached to wild tomato, but it's a, it's a very kind of specific small menu as well. Yeah which is fantastic. It's one of my wife and I's favorite places to go in, um, in all of door County, really good food at like that middle ground price point Mm -hmm. and not like, all right, we're going to be super fancy tonight, but we're going to go get something really great. Yeah. Which is something that's all over in cities, but is only the last few years really been available in door County. Yeah. Well, and I think that with beers and with tomato as well, trying to be affordable so that you can go there more often. And that's what I always look at. And yeah, formally being in fine dining, you know, air quotes, 
Um, I really don't ever want to have any dishes that are in the 20 plus range or 30 plus range or 40. It just, it's not where I want to be personally. Um, and it's not how I dine anymore at all. I love doing small plates and having three, four of those, I may end up right. spending the same amount of money, but yeah. I don't have to if I don't want to and still get some great food. And that's what Beers Out was all about. Yeah. The um, the other thing that you did with Wild Tomato that uh, was kind of innovative at the time, I mean, I came, I had a bar. We never even had a beer list that we handed people. People would ask what we had and we said, well, look at the taps and there's some bottles up on that rail and you should figure it out. Like horrible customers. There's so many things. If I look back on my dad, just like pound my head against the wall at what I did. But you started bringing a lot of craft beers into Wild Tomato, even though it wasn't a bar. And I don't think there were a lot of places doing that. Back in the day, Old Stage Station and Egg Harbor had like five or, or like a, a hundred beer list, but there was like one bottle of each. I don't remember it being necessarily curated, but you started, you were the first place that I remember seeing Lagunitas anywhere mm-hmm. around here. Why did you start doing that? What kind of inspired you to start doing that, even with Little Pizza Place? It was, again, just a lot of traveling. And I had lived in Oregon uh, in the mid nineties, which was the hotbed for craft beer, which Oregon still is pretty much the hotbed. But back then in the state, I think they had 85 breweries, Hmm. which was a lot more than any other state. And that was really where my love of craft beer started. And there's so many different types to give people the options and let them explore, I think was kind of the fun thing. I, we, I think our first year we might've had like Miller light on draft. And then <laughs> after that, we didn't, I yeah. never went back to that. It will always have a lighter selection right. for people and, and it lets people explore it. Was that hard at first? Did you get people who came in and just, oh, well, where's just like your basic beers? Um, we always would have them in cans or okay. bottles or something. So we did always have that option. They, um, a lot of people do just want draft. So, and that's where I really learned like, okay, I have to have a lighter beer <laughs> on draft and, um, and you can't everything wild, you know? And, yeah. um, so I, I had a little bit of a learning curve, but again, it was pretty well, you know, so taken. And then what you did is, you know, it used to be people would take over a restaurant and you just change the sign out, change the menu. Basically the place would look very much the same when it opened as a new place. Um, and then in cities for a long time, people have, they kind of like blow out this whole restaurant concept and they redo the entire inside and debut this brand new place. And that's a little bit of what you started to do with wild tomato. I don't think you did that right off the bat, but a few years later, you kind of did a, a, another revamp of it. If I'm remembering correctly. Yep, correct. Mm-hmm. And then when you opened Sister Bay after buying the Sister Bay Cafe, you actually took your time and for a, about a year mm-hmm. working on that and constructing it and making, starting to make restaurants kind of like a, a more of an experience thing, not just like I'm going here to get my food, I'm going here for this whole ambiance and experience of this place. Yeah. And that I love doing it. And I remember when I was 19 years old, uh, I was working out in San Francisco for Wolfgang Puck at Post Trio. And I finally got to go in. I'd saved up enough money to go in and actually eat there. <laughs> and this restaurant, you actually walked down and the ceiling was about 60 some feet. And I remember looking up at the ceiling and seeing probably hundreds of lights and each one of them specifically shining 
on different parts of each table. Yeah, it was amazing. And that was kind of when I first realized, okay, design in a restaurant is unbelievably important. And it's a lot more than just how the paint color is and things like that. And then um, got to work with a company down in Milwaukee for a couple restaurant openings when I was a corporate chef down there that took design to a different level in restaurants. And that's kind of where it started for us to really just make it different and make it an experience, like a whole experience from the time you walk in to seating. I mean, everyone who talks to me a lot about design. And so I love lighting. That's like my favorite thing. (laughs) And um, like the lights in Fish Creek, I think it took me about eight or nine months to find those lights and they were custom made. I had to find someone that made basically those kind of lights and uh, with Skipstone coffee that's opening up this week. Uh, I got chandeliers from Murano, Italy. Um, you know, it's just so one, you're of, one of those picky guys who's looking at every angle yeah, of it. Yeah, I am. I love it. It's, it's a lot of fun for me. Where did the, the wild tomato logo is, is now kind of quickly became like an iconic one up here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really recognized. It's a great logo. Where did that come from? It, you know, unfortunately I'd probably wish I could say it was me, but it was our graphic designer, um, showed a few different designs and they were really cool, you know, kind of classic what you would think. And then also he pulled, he's like, okay, I kind of went away from what you guys had talked about or what we had all talked about, had this idea and he pulled it out <laughs> as soon as saw it, it was like done. Yeah. It, it was just great. And it's like the Kool-Aid man blowing out of your wall in sister Bay, right? <laughs> it is exactly. Oh, yeah. Yep. Exactly. And, and that's what he had said. We can pull this character out and have fun with it. it yeah. You know, it's kind of a classic um, you know, one-on-one marketing and design, but he, he nailed it. I what, love what it. What about the name? Where did you come up with that? Wild tomato. It was a month or two of brainstorming and we knew it was going to be tomato. And there was like heirloom tomato and a couple other different tomato. And then it's kind of said wild tomato, like, and looked it up. There was actually a search going on for a true wild tomato down in Peru or something like <laughs> that. But for me, it's that wild aspect of food, but then also wild and life and, you know, having fun and things like that. So that's, it works. It's like, um, it's one of those names that it can become a brand, which Mm -hmm. is hard to come by. And actually as you, now it's like, so just kind of ingrained up here, but it's, and it's such a basic good name that I'm kind of surprised somebody else doesn't have that. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple restaurants now out East I think too that that picked up on it. Yeah, and and actually they both have wild or uh, Wisconsin ties. <laughs> so, oh, really? Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, it is. But it's I, not like the uh, Great Eggs place down in Lake Geneva that blatantly ripped off Joel Bremer's good no, eggs. <laughs> no, no, one of them is a complete ripoff. Oh, yeah, they, they actually had done a donation creation. Uh, <laughs> you know, the deluxe pizza. You know, we spell it different. It's just D L U X. They spell um, it the same way. They spell it the same way. <laughs> yeah. So flattery. It is, I guess. I guess. <laughs> um, and then you guys expanded then. And you know, you might go, okay, you you opened a you had the Fish Creek one and you bought property in Sister Bay at a time when Sister Bay was kind of a dead village, but mm-hmm. you knew the the construction was coming through and that it would take a little bit, but then they would have this great big open waterfront and you were gonna be right in the center of that. But you, you opened, I think, Beers Out first, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. And then you opened Wild Tomato. Were you ever concerned about cannibalism between the two locations? 
They're only 15 minutes apart. Yeah. We were actually hoping for a little bit yeah. of cannibalism because Fish Creek had almost gotten too busy. And, and Fish Creek's a small dining room. It is. And, you know, we ended up doing the carryout in the back and things like that that helped. But it still was about 10% too busy to make sure that our standards always were where we wanted them to be. Did it get way busier, way faster than you anticipated? Or did you expect it to blow up? <laughs> no, I had no idea. Yeah. Not whatsoever. I mean, it's some of my employees joke with me about it. Like, I told you it was going to do this. And I'm like, I never believed it. Never yeah. thought that was going to. I mean, they put the words back to me that, that I said back when we were doing first remodel and everything. It was supposed to just be kind of a sleepy little pizza place. Mm-hmm. And a lot of why the kitchen, well, the the way the pizza station is in Fish Creek is the way it is, was so I could make pizzas and be part of the dining room at the same time. Okay. So if there are questions or so I could get to know the the clientele sure. and stuff. So I was in the kitchen or out in the dining room as well. forward rather yep. than, all right, that always helps a restaurant early on. As, mm-hmm. as much as like maybe the, the chef needs to be in the kitchen, sometimes you're in there, like the people don't connect, especially in a small town like this. Correct. Exactly. So there was the hope with Sister Bay that it would do a little bit and it did and it was perfect um perfect amount when we had bought sister bay cafe we were trying to come up with a concept for it that was different the original plan wasn't a wild tomato but it kind of quickly became known that that's what the customers wanted that's what the clientele wanted so we ended up doing it and beerzad was a happy accident that um was that supposed to be just like a placeholder for that location? It was. And and essentially, we didn't know that we were going to have to tear down two-thirds of the building. That was okay. uh, not a happy accident. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, there were just some issues with the trusses and things like that that just couldn't be fixed. Uh, so Beerzot kind of came out of, let's do something. yeah, Because we wanted to delay while tomato construction to coincide with the highway construction reconstruction. Okay. So it was the kind of natural because my love of beer at wild tomato was kind of taking over too much. <laughs> so we moved it up there. So yeah. It worked. It and worked beers out. It has a fantastic beer selection, a lot of mm-hmm. really well curated items there. Um, and then, so now you have beers out, you've got the two wild tomatoes, but over the last, I don't know, a few months, a lot of rumors swirling about different concepts and things. What can you confirm about what mm-hmm. Wild Tomato is is or is not opening now? Yeah. So what we've done is we kind of formed a like a restaurant group name so that people will be able to recognize. So we're opening up Skipstone Coffee tomorrow, um, which I'll say here because this one won't be out for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's downtown Sister Bay. Uh, so we're doing that. Uh, Skipstone Coffee Roasters, we're... Not starting out roasting, but it's something I've wanted to always do. So over the next year, we'll start bringing that in online. And then this summer, I had gotten a call from Peter Gentry, owner of One Barrel Brewing out of Madison, uh, that he was purchasing a property in Egg Harbor. And rather than doing kind of the food truck thing that breweries are known for everywhere, he carved out a space to lease and wanted to see if I wanted to go in there which I happily accepted. Jumped right on that? Yeah, I mean, it was perfect. And to be honest, I was kind of looking at doing something small 
like that down in Egg Harbor. Yeah, so what is that going to be? Is this a carryout location? Is it a grab and hang on a picnic table? What is that form going to look like? Yes to both of those. Okay. So you can still call in if you're, you know, at home down there or a hotel or wherever and get carryout. But then also if you want to go to One Barrel and have dinner, you can get it. It'll be counter service only and come up, order, and then we'll let you know when your pizza's done and you come back up and grab that and he's going to have plenty of seating and inside and out. When is that uh, supposed to be open? Obviously winter time, weather and everything, construction stuff mm-hmm. might push it, but like when is the thinking? Hopefully May 1st-ish. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's pretty tight. That one's... Uh, Excited for that. I, as a Egg Harbor native... And my parents live down there and I just know like people down there are starved for a little more. A lot of the other towns have gotten a lot of the action the last mm-hmm. few years. So now Egg Harbor is kind of like the next one to yeah. get a little more mm-hmm. revitalization. Yeah. And it's happening. And, you know, another great restaurant family is moving down there and Hatch yeah. Distillery just opened. And, you know, there's some fun stuff happening down there. And, you know, Parador's there. I love that place. Yeah, that place is fantastic. Yeah. Um, when uh, and it, then is, do you want to talk about any Bailey's Harbor? Uh, yes, plans? I can too. That was the next one. Um, so myself and my controller Brian Hackbarth, we are we're under contract at uh, Yum Yum Tree. Uh, we close on that. Place, Janu- place has been for sale for as long as I can remember. Yes, mm-hmm. and it's such a great building. I'm. I think the thing with me, I love the historic part of Door County, mm-hmm. and it's growing up in Nelson's Hall. You cannot kind of find a more historic building in Door County. (laughs) And um, so I have that love. And what we intend on doing is kind of bringing it back, like do the flat front, the historic flat front that most other business have done now in in Bailey's Harbor. Yeah. Um, And then kind of do the same thing that I did in Citra Bay and flip it. So, you know, the view is to the water and we'll have a deck off the back. Uh, three season deck and uh you know speaking of flipping it to the water that is one of those big trans uh transitions for door county for years no restaurants really took advantage like even places that were on the water all the dinings on the roadside even jj's la puerta has yeah. done that way and it's because people back in the day didn't really think of the water as an as so much of a, the, the asset that we do now um farmers didn't even want to be on the water that's yep. a horrible place to farm but um now, if you go through Sister Bay and what you guys did with Wild Tomato, I mean, back when we had Husby's, our patio and maybe a couple of tables throughout town, like maybe in front of Door Deli, that was about the extent of outdoor dining. Now it's all outdoor dining and everyone's putting like garage doors like you guys did. Mm-hmm. It was slow to get here and it's kind of agonizingly, agonizingly slow for a place that is reliant entirely on like the natural element for like what we have here. Yeah. And now we're finally starting to take advantage of it. Yeah, I think we are. I, I think that what Sister Bay as a village did, love it or opened hate it. a lot of eyes. Yeah, it really did. It, as to what the possibilities are, if um, not to get political or anything, but no, let's do it. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> if some of the zoning is relaxed a little bit and there's better conversations between a business owner and, say, an administrator of some sort, right? When you can actually have a nice conversation about what. Do you want from me, village? Yeah. And what I want to do and let's meet in the middle. And that's exactly what happened with Wild Tomato and Sister Bay. Yeah. First starting with Bob Coffrin mm-hmm. and then with Zeke. It, it just, it was perfect. And I think even if you talk to Bob, he'd say like early on he was pretty rigid. Maybe that was because he thought he just had to get there. And 
strictly enforce the village's rules. And over time, as he got more comfortable in that position, Bob Cuffrin, mm-hmm. um, the former village administrator, and they started to relax a lot of things. He started to listen to a lot of people a lot more. And so did the village board. Um, and it used to be, I mean, now there's music until 11 o'clock most nights. Mm-hmm. We used to, if we had even the jukebox on at Husby's, <laughs> we had to have the windows closed and the volume turned down at like nine yeah. or else you'd get noise complaints and complaints from the village yeah. and village board. I, it's great that things have evolved to the point that all right, now the discussion is, are we too busy? Like yeah. that's a good discussion to have. It is. Well, and, and, as long and as parking all, is a good problem to have. Yeah. And it, as long as we're all neighborly about it. Yeah. So if there is a noise complaint, you take it into consideration, you know, yeah. and, and that's kind of what I have kind of always believed in just be neighborly and, yeah. and we can work together because a lot of the people that are downtown and living downtown, they want to have fun there too. Uh, so it, it's, it's worked out great and you do see all of the fruits there in sister Bay. So you've opened a few restaurants and they've all been successful and now you're opening another coffee shop in sister Bay and you've seen the complaints about there's too many businesses. There's too many restaurants specifically, and it's getting too, too busy. Like do you worry whether there's room or not, or, um, I guess, how do you see some of those conversations mm-hmm. for me? I kind of just put my head down and just do what I do. Yeah. Um, and what we really focus on are is consistency and it's consistent product, consistent hours, <laughs> consistently. Be <laughs> well, open. that's huge. You guys are open throughout the winter. We are. And, and I, if I have to make a decision about say a new restaurant and can't be open year round because it doesn't make sense, then I won't do it. Um, that's then it, then it just plain doesn't make sense. Right. Cause to me it's about, this is the community part. Like we all work so much in the summer and kind of can't enjoy everything that is here for us. Um, so to me, I want to be open for our community in the winter. And then obviously that's providing a lot of jobs too. Yeah. And you can keep your own staff. Mm-hmm. Like when we had husbands having people, the fact that we were opening every day, even if we were losing our tails in January and February, well, we at least had like a 15 person year round staff that like the value of that come May and June of having that many people to actually start training other people. So it's not all on you to reopen a whole new restaurant mm-hmm. every spring. That that was huge. Yeah, it's that kind of say in Fish Creek, we <clears throat> went from I think our first couple of years, first two years, maybe we closed in the winter and then we started opening more and more and more. And then finally we were down to one month that we had closed and just absolutely made no sense to close for a month. And then you do see that huge benefit with your staff and, and the way it benefits us as, as a group, but then also for them having kind of like a normal life, you know, they have a year round paycheck and, uh, cause they don't have to spend a couple thousand dollars bouncing to Florida for a few months. Right. Yep. And, and I'm now really seeing that benefit for them. They're buying houses. They're really settling down. I've some guys that have done that Florida thing now wanting to buy a house up here and just settle down. And, um, that to me, when we look at five, six years ago with the County, not having people moving here younger, you know, younger than me, um, moving here. And that's completely changed now. And there are younger people wanting to actually live here. And then it's on me to make sure they can and that 
in the summer I mean, we have kind of a strict rule that uh, you don't work six days in the summer. So all of my managers, my hourly staff, they only work five days. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And because I want them to have, have a, a day or two and yeah, normal life I and mean, go enjoy yourself. Go, to, um, go do the things that make us want to live here. Yeah. Um, and the, the, you know, another business that's been great about that just on staying open all the time. And I, you can see the benefit is a blue horse bistro in fish Creek mm-hmm. just by virtue of, uh, Eric and Karina, there staying open every winter, except for when they had got kind of got kicked out of a location, yep. but otherwise they've basically been open all year, every day for the better part of 10 or 12 years. And while every other coffee shop, when they close down and people go need to go have a place, to have a meeting or just to meet up with someone or grab a cup of coffee. Now they get introduced to Blue Horse and maybe they never would have gone there because they were in this other routine. So now, okay, now I'm going there all the time. Same thing with like your restaurants. You Mm -hmm. might not, somebody who never stepped in foot in Wild Tomato all summer, in the winter when it slows down, those locals, oh, this is the only place open. And now that's part of their routine. Yep, exactly. Well, and we get different tourists in the winter, obviously not as many, but we do. And they're generally people that never come here in the summer at all. There are people who who really do just hate the summer and they're just like, November, late October is their sweet Mm -hmm. sweet spot. Yeah. Well, I always call it um, the Bayside effect. So back when, when I was younger and maybe went to bars more often, you always knew that Bayside was going to be open until bar close. Yeah. Back in the day, you always knew that they would be open. And that's what I always call it the Bayside effect. You always knew where to go if you were hungry, Yeah, you know, and um, that's what we've done. So whatever hour it is that we close, we never close earlier. It doesn't matter how slow we are, whatever. We're always open until. And it changes. Like people talk to me all the time. Like, how has it been? Cause I, I moved to Chicago, was down there for six years. And when my wife and I decided to move back, um, I always tell people like, you know, if it were still seven years ago, I think we would have done it. But now there's so many more good restaurants and there's so many places that are open throughout the winter that the winter's not the slog that it was no. eight or nine years ago. Yeah. No knock on these businesses, but it used to be, you had your rotation. It was, if it was January, it was probably Husby's bowl Bayside and maybe JJ's. That's about yeah. all your options mm-hmm. were. So now that you have all these other options, it, it really does change the lifestyle. It does. Especially if you're younger. Yeah, it does. I mean, it does completely change it. Well, and families and things, what I've noticed, and one of the big reasons why I like staying open is families are busy too, even in Door County. So yeah. they need they need easy stuff. Ordering pizza, you know, for carryout. Yeah. That's easy. You need those once in a while. You're busy driving all over because you got to cover so much ground in the, in <laughs> yeah. the snow. You know, we didn't back to the or Bailey's Harbor location. What is that going to be then? Is that going to be another wild tomato or is it a different concept or are you not ready to say? Yeah, it's going to be a different concept. Um, as of right now, I mean, things change. So what we're focusing on is a true wood grill and it's going to be, you know, contemporary American food. My chef that's at Beersot will be moving down there okay. for that. Uh, fantastic guy. Uh, by the name of John Verbaten. Yeah. Well, he's going to be my I heard rumors maitre d' there. Yep. So, uh, John, for those who don't know, has been a longtime uh, wine rep for uh, one of the distributors in Door County and is just maybe one of the foremost wine experts yeah. that you'll, you'll meet. Yep. And prior to, to that job, he was maitre d' at La Toile in Madison and Harvest. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's all right, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's not too bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... 
I think we're going to be right around 90 seats. So okay. it's not too big. Um, I don't. It's a lunch dinner spot. It'll or? be lunch and dinner. Okay. Um, maybe brunch. We'll kind of see. Okay. Um, never really wanted to dive into breakfast a whole lot, but brunch is a nice. It's tough happy to combine meeting. those hours. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, but yeah, in sandwiches at lunch, we'll do small plates again. We may have some entrees. Uh, again, not many, and you know, highest it'll be is given kind of strict rules, like nothing higher than twenty five. Yeah, as an entree, um, I want to sit in that sweet spot of nine to fourteen for small plates, and, sure, and that's it. But again, we're gonna have a big focus on American craft beers and uh, American wines as well. Um, I think John kind of put it best. It's kind of like a refashioned American beers out. All right. You know, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. From, so, from what you're telling me here. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's along those lines, um, but casual, you know, that's, I will, in this, I can say, I will never do kind of fine dining. I don't, it's Door County. You're on vacation and we yeah. live here, which means I think we're always on vacation. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. That's, hear. that's what it feels like. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's it. And you know, uh, decor and stuff. I'm not sure yet. We're still working that out. It's cool to see Bailey's Harbors come back. When we first uh, moved the Pulse offices over here from Ephraim eight or nine years ago, pretty sleepy little town still. And I remember going, wow, there's like actually probably five bars in really close proximity in this town, like closer than any other town has. Yeah. Like They could actually organize a bar crawl here and never happened. But now you have, you know, heirlooms moved in, Door County Brewing Company, Chives, and it's it's really just bounced back. And now there's just a, a lot going on here. Like there, you have so many, you have, I shouldn't say so many, but you have several options in Bailey's Harbor where you yeah. staff none. And it's within a very small walking area. Yeah, and like three blocks. Mm-hmm. And it's really a small town. Yeah. And that's what started kind of drawing me here. And I have to say, there were rumors going on that I was buying Yum Yum Tree all summer. And really, uh, the rumor is what kind of got me there. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, I've always, so what you're saying it. is if you want a wild tomato in your town, start a rumor that Brit's buying it. And no, then- <laughs> <laughs> no it, but I've loved that building forever. Yeah, uh, it's, it's just, I don't know something about it. So, well, Brit, thanks for making the trip down here at, while you're opening yet another place. Um, I'm looking forward to checking out Skipstone. And um, yeah, thanks for the the things you've done in the restaurant industry in Door County just to change the scene and give us all great food to eat. Thanks. Appreciate that. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit doorcountypulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.